Well, I would invite you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Acts. As you're turning there, a lot of more great things here today, besides the privilege of uh, laying hands and affirming uh, Jeff. We also uh, have a special guest here this morning. Milan Mikelko is here from the Czech Republic, sitting up front here. Welcome, Milan. Many of you have gotten to know Milan over the years. He's, of course, the country, Czech country leader for Josiah Venture and uh, elder and pastor of his church in the Czech Republic, the church that we've had the privilege of partnering with for the outreaches, the music outreaches we've done over the past few years. And, uh, and, and some of us have gotten to know people in that church, and, and, and it's a wonderful place, and, and it's great to be able to not only partner with Milan in ministry, but to, um, to share the same love for the church, and to share the same love for the mission of the church, and to, uh, to have a sister church in the Czech Republic that we get to, uh, to, to work alongside and learn from and grow from, and it's just wonderful. So Milan is here, and make sure you come and say hi, and uh, give him a hug, and uh, unless you're sick, then don't give him a hug, just wave from a distance. He's flying back tomorrow. He doesn't need to bring it on the plane. But anyways, but, uh, but it's wonderful there. Another thing to keep in mind, too, uh, keeping the mission theme alive. Uh, right now, the Karises are probably uh, having their truck inspected at the border. As they're crossing the border into Canada, they have to account for everything that they are bringing across the border. And so they literally have to have a, a list a manifesto of every good, and depending on how the border guard wants to take it, he could open up the truck and say, oh, it looks pretty good, and move them on his way. Or he could say, we're going to look at everything. And the, the rationale behind that is uh, taxes, right? If, if, you know, there's a whole process. We don't need to get into that now. But, but it's a big process. Uh, I encourage them to, uh, to, to uh, don't try to soothe their kids if they're starting to cry. That might speed the process along, might... You know, if the kids are crying, let them cry. You know, let, let the border guard know, hey, this noise will end when we cross. <laughs> you know, and so you want peace at the border? <laughs> Let's move the process along. So, so, uh, so we'll see if that happens. So, but anyways, let's, uh, I'd like to just go to prayer now before we uh, begin our study here. God, I thank you for a great day. I thank you for... Um, being able to carry on the mission of the church, of appointing elders, people who will shepherd the flock and protect the flock and, uh, and do that in the context of shepherding and caring and protecting their own homes. And Lord, uh, what a joy it is to be able to do that and to, uh, to partner alongside Jeff and his family in the mission. Uh, Lord, I'm also grateful that, uh, that we get to have Milan here, uh, faithful mission partner from the Czech Republic. What a joy it is to uh, be able to just spend time with him and be encouraged and refreshed in the work you're doing around the world. You are an amazing God at work everywhere all the time and, uh, and listening to the prayers of your people everywhere and fully intended on all of them. It's amazing. And Lord, what a joy it is to celebrate and worship with him this morning. God, I also am grateful for uh, 
Karis's and the Clockengays as they make their way across the border right now. Lord, would you please just allow that process to go smoothly? Thank you that they did the hard work, that they, that they, they did the extra work and went the extra mile to make that process smooth to show that they're not rebels to the law, but they are, they are uh, going to be submissive and, and, and stand with character in what they do. And I pray that that would be received and honored and that they would pass through the border with protection and quickness and, uh, and not allow that process to drag on. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the privilege now that we have to be in your word. Thank you that we get to celebrate together around uh, your glorious truth. Thank you that we get to study the book of Acts and learn about the mission of the church. In Christ's name, amen. So this morning we are here in Acts 13. We're looking at verses 4 through 12. We are studying the book of Acts together. We're going through it. Over, We've been going through it for quite a while. And uh, today we're beginning looking at the start of Paul's missionary journey, his first missionary journey. Last week we looked at them being commissioned, Paul and Barnabas, be commissioned to take the gospel out. This week we're going to begin his first journey. This is going to be an amazing journey. We're going to see a lot of, of, of incredible things happen. We are going to see uh, a political leader get saved in this journey. We're going to see a Jewish sorcerer get rebuked. We are going to see the gospel move into a place called Pisidia. We're going to see opposition form. Uh, We're going to see uh, uh, people getting healed. It's an amazing journey. We're going to see people trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to push that worship away and direct people to God himself. We're even going to see Paul and Barnabas get attacked and and, and, and with big stones and and almost left for dead, and yet they they, uh, come out of this alive, and then at the end of this first missionary journey, the Jerusalem Council, the first big moment where the church is wrestling with the impact of worldwide global evangelism. Now, we're not looking at all that today, but that's just what this journey is going to unfold for us. It's an incredible journey filled with a lot of adventure, and it's amazing what's there. But today, we're just looking at the first leg of their journey. They're going to go from Antioch to a little island called Cyprus. It's just out in the Mediterranean Sea, just this small little island of Cyprus. And it's a very important mission because this is the first full-scale, you know, overseas missionary journey, we would call it that. They get on a boat and they go to Cyprus, and they're going to deal with an issue. The very first threat that comes to the church is the threat of mysticism. And that's going to be the threat we're going to see. And mysticism is, is a threat, has been a threat from the beginning of time, and it's still real today, still part of the church, or still part of the threat the church faces today. Let me tell you what mysticism is and, and then show you, because it's something that, that we will struggle with as we seek to take the gospel out. Mysticism is basically this. Mysticism is a belief system that tries to uh, uh, make a conduit between the physical world and the spiritual world. That's what mysticism is. Typical kind of current form of mysticism today is yoga. Yoga is a mystic belief that you contort your body and meditate, and through the contortions and meditation, you can become a, get a conduit into the spiritual world. Okay, and so, so mysticism is belief that, that there is some form of a conduit. And when you find that conduit into the spiritual world, you can get access to all of the blessings that come from the spiritual world. 
me give you a practical example. Maybe you guys have been in situations like this before where, where this has happened, but this is a, actually mysticism. Okay, a long time ago, 20-some-odd years ago, one of the friend, a guy that I grew up with was getting married. And, uh, and he wasn't a believer. And about maybe two years or three years before he got married, his father died. Very sad thing. And this guy never really thought about God. I would try to share the gospel with him when I was younger, but he just never really clicked. He never wanted it. And, uh, and so he invited me to be part of his wedding. And so I, I remember going to his house the morning he was getting married, and he was going to get, have wedding pictures taken outside. And they were, you know, it was supposed to be a beautiful day. And this horrible storm comes through the morning of his wedding. And the wedding party is all sad. And they're like, oh, we, you know, we thought we were going to take pictures. And now it's raining and it's really sad and this dark clouds are coming. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the rain stops. And everyone's sitting in their back area, back of their house, like this three-season porch, and they're all, we're all sitting there, standing there, and the rain just stops. And my friend goes, wow, dad's watching out for me. Right? Dad's watching out for me. You know, dad's, that's a sign that dad's looking down and giving me the blessing on my wedding. Now, I'm sitting, standing there at that moment going, What? When you die, you don't get control over the weather, you know? And if you did, who wins? I mean, what happens if there was some farmer kid whose dad died, right? And now the farmer is saying, we need rain. And that morning, the farmer kid's going, oh, dad's watching out for us. The rain's coming. It wasn't supposed to rain. Like, is there some kind of fight in heaven when people die, no, rain, no, I'm a farmer, no, my kid's getting married. And like, right? Like, think about this for a minute. If you die and get control of the weather, who wins? That's what I'm thinking at this moment. And so they look at me to say something because they know I'm a Christian. I was like 24 years old, and I was like, all I'm thinking are things that would be really bad to say. And I just went, well, God's in control of the weather. Not your dad. You know, God. Right? What's mysticism? They were, he was trying to get some kind of connection to the spiritual world and the blessings of the spiritual world through his dad. Through his dad. Right? That's just mysticism. We deal with it everywhere. They're going to deal with this on their missionary journey. They're going to deal with this. And we're going to see how they deal with this. And I think that this is important for us to study. And I want to tell you why. As we begin this journey, and we see them dealing with mysticism and dealing with this kind of stuff, I think there's a couple things that we'll learn here. First thing that we're going to learn is how they dealt with this, which I think is important for us. But the second thing that I think is important for us is is I think we have to really study the missionary journeys of Paul for a reason. Now, I'm going to kind of just give you an opinion here, which probably means that it's worthless. But I at least want to qualify that this is my opinion. But my opinion is, is that, that as I watch the world around me, and I see me in the world that I'm living in, and I see the world that my children are being raised into, I'm getting more and more convinced that we have to, 
start thinking like missionaries in our own culture. I'm getting more and more convinced that, that, that I've got to shift my thinking. And I've got to start thinking that I am living in a cross-cultural mission environment. That the culture around me isn't necessarily celebrating the fact that I love Christ, but instead they, they hate it. And that around me are mystics and people who would believe this. And there might even be people who attend a church that still might say, wow, dad's watching out for me, your mom's watching out for me, or something like that. These mystic beliefs that aren't true. And I think when we study these, these, this, this missionary journey of Paul, my intention, and I'll let you know this up front, is to study this not just to go, wow, isn't that great what they did, but to teach us how to engage like missionaries, to teach us how to engage with truth. Because mysticism doesn't set you free from sin. Mysticism doesn't set you free from death. Mysticism doesn't give you hope or purpose in life. Mysticism doesn't do anything for you. Mysticism, even if you think about it, breaks down on its own grounds. It doesn't make sense. And so we've got to bring the world hope that there is something more powerful than mystic beliefs. There's something more powerful than the religions, the spirituality of the world around us. And we've got to learn how to do it, and that's what I think we'll learn. So as I shape the text today in Acts 13, I've shaped this around five big ideas. Five really important big ideas. And these five big ideas are, should kind of shape the way we think about God and the world, and, and they should anchor us. As if, if we were going to take the mantle and say, you know what, I, I'm ready to start thinking and acting like a missionary, even in my own culture. This would be my first training session to you. And, and I would say there are five big ideas we've got to anchor our minds around as we go into this world. And the five big ideas are right there in your bulletin, and I'm even going to expand on them as we go. But the five big ideas are this, movement. And it's this, God is on the move. That's the first big idea. The second big idea is mission. We have a task. And the third big idea is opportunity. God opens doors. And the fourth big idea is there's a threat. Satan will always resist. And the fifth big idea is outcome. God always wins. Right? God's on the move. We have a task. God's the one who will open the door. Satan will always attack, but God will always win. Okay, thank you for that. Amen. That's exactly right. Okay, those are the five big ideas. We're going to unpack those here this morning. Let's look and, and begin the process of unpacking. Let's look at the first point, movement. God is on the move. I want you to look at verse 4 with me. If this is your first Sunday here, in verses 1 through 3, we have elders, uh, leaders actually, prophets and teachers, they're praying together. And, and, and the Spirit of God says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas, two of the leaders in the church. Set these guys apart for me because I have work for them to do. And so that leadership team laid hands on them, and then they released them. And in verse 4, we now have this movement that, that occurs between these two guys. There's actually a third guy who shows up in this mix here. We'll hit him in a second here. But, 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 but now they're being released. That's what verse 4 is about. Look at verse 4. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, so he's just giving us their journey. They go from Antioch. They get on the Mediterranean Sea. Or they, they go to a town, a border town called Seleucus, and then they... They, they, they get on the sea, and they make their way to Cyprus. Okay, there's the movement. But what I want you to notice is the very first line. So being sent out by 
the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in the past. The Holy Spirit is not just a force field. It's not Star Wars. It's not like this force you enter into and then it helps you blow up planets. You know, it's not that kind of a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. Third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. And, and one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, as we will see in Acts, is to, be, is to move and to push people into the movements of God. God is at work. He has, he has provided a way for humanity to be saved from the consequences of their sin, to be rescued from all of the depravity that's in the world, and to be made whole and one within themselves, each other, and God. Right? It's amazing. Saved, rescued, be made whole. He did all this through Jesus. The work of Jesus on the cross, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Now the role of the Spirit is to take people who have been saved and to get them going to understand that message, to proclaim that message, to be able to engage with that. There is no way to be connected to God and not be connected to the movement of God. Because God made it clear, I'm on the move. Jesus, before he goes up to heaven, says what? Go to the nations, make disciples of me, be witnesses of me, share me everywhere you go. It's all over the Bible. Jesus' harshest words were for those who refused to take the gospel out. That's who he was the most aggressive towards. So therefore, if you are connected to God and his spirit, his spirit moves. God is at work, and what's amazing is that he not only saves us, but he invites us into his work. He invites us into his work. First thing we have to think about when we think about God is we don't just think about God in relation to how I want to like worship God or how I want to think about God or what God does for me, but really one of the key things to think about God is to think about the fact that he's inviting me into his life and he's inviting me into his work. Into, he says, I'm bringing you into my work, into my life. I'm going to give you life, redemption, wholeness. And I'm giving you this so that I can bring you in to the work I'm doing. And that's why the text says it was the Spirit. They were set apart to the work that the Spirit was calling them to. One thing I want you to notice is that Antioch did not sit down, develop a strategic plan to reach Cyprus. The Spirit had the strategic plan, and Antioch said, go. Go, it's movement. You know, I've heard, I have a friend who says this quite often. A lot of people are praying to see whether or not they're, they're, they should be sent by God to some kind of mission. And my friend will say, why are you praying? If you're in Christ, you've been sent. That's what it means to be in Christ, is that you become a part of what the Spirit is doing, and what is the Spirit doing Spreading this message everywhere. Your neighborhood, from your family to the nations. It's going everywhere. From the smallest moment of a child in your home to the most broad moment to the far reaches of the world. That's what this is about. Okay, so God is on the move. That's the first point. Okay, now, now let's move into the second point here. To the mission. We are given a task. We are given a task. Notice verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, 
They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Okay, just a little word about John. John is sometimes called John Mark, and he's sometimes called Mark. So in Acts, if you see John, John Mark, or Mark, it's all the same. Now, why all these different names? One of the things that Acts quite frequently does is gives you either the Hebrew rendering of the name or the Greek rendering of the name, depending upon the context. Okay, Saul is the Hebrew name for Paul. Paul is the Greek name for Saul. Right? It's just the same name. John and Mark are actually the same name, just one is Hebrew, one is Greek. Okay, So, so here we have John. But later he's going to be called John Mark. Then later he's called Mark. Okay, so that's all. Now this guy, we're gonna, I'm going to leave him alone for a while because he comes in later in a few weeks and, and let's give him his moment later. Okay, and so, so uh, because he becomes the center of a big controversy and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into this guy. But right now he's on the team. So they got a team of three. And I want you to notice what happens. They arrive at, at Cyprus. Cyprus is this like narrow island, you know, just a rectangle. And they arrive at one end and they go from one end to the other is basically what happens. And their mission was they were going to preach the, the word of God in the synagogues. And you say, why would they do this? If Paul is supposed to go out to these non-Jews and preach the gospel to non-Jews, why is he going to the synagogues? There's two reasons he does this. And, uh, but before I give you those two reasons, I want to at least identify what he's doing before we uh, get into those reasons here. i got a little ahead of myself. I want you to notice, first of all, that he proclaimed the word of God. That's the first observation I want you to make in there. In that, we learn what the task is of the mission. When we see the phrase, Word of God, sometimes we think of just like our Bible, right? Say, this is the Word of God. You know, I was reading the Word the other day. We use that phrase. And that's an appropriate use of Word of God. Of course, Paul wasn't, when Luke was writing this, he wasn't thinking of a leather-bound Bible with maps and things like that, right? So, so what does he mean when he says the Word of God? Let me kind of explain it to you. The New Testament message, and we'll see this as Acts unfolds, the New Testament message is this understanding that, that in the Old Testament, God promised a Messiah. And in the course of this promise, he said lots of different things about the Messiah. That he would crush Satan, that he would bring blessing to the nations, that he would be the one that would speak the word of God perfectly and purely, that he would be a king that would rule on an everlasting throne, that he'd bring redemption for people, that he would save people. There's, there's just... There's hundreds of statements made about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament message is that Jesus is that one. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he is the Savior and Judge of humanity. And so their work was to go to the world and to tell the world that Jesus is the fulfillment. So let's cycle back for a moment, go back to my little story about my friend. Had I really understood this, I didn't understand this at the time. The, the right answer to that moment, whether or not you'd have to figure out the best way to deliver this, but the right answer to that moment when they say, oh, Dad must be watching out for me, is to say, you want to know what? There are days when there's blessing that comes to us. There are days when good things happen to us. They might seem rare, but there are days when good things happen. There are days when 
something happens out of the blue, and there's no way that you could have ever accounted for that. And you say, yeah, some form of divine intervention happened there. But I want you to understand something. The only way that those blessings have come to us is through Jesus. He's the source of blessing. He's the source of life. He's the source of hope. Okay? Or we can take it another way. Somebody might say, you know, when, when is all this stuff going to happen? When, when are the, you know, the terrorists going to be punished? And when is this going to happen? And we need this and we need that. And people start getting all anxious about the world. And you can say, you know what? It's true. We need justice bad. There are people who are being taken advantage of all over the world. Jesus is the judge. And he will make things right. See, that's the idea. What you're doing when you preach the word of God is you are showing how Jesus is the resolver of everything. And the Old Testament teaches us the whole point of all the stories and everything is to show us our need for Christ and what he's going to do. Okay? So that's the word of God. And so when they would go, they would go to the synagogues. They would go to the synagogues for two reasons. One, the synagogues were everywhere. They were little teaching centers that Jews established all over the world. And oftentimes Gentiles would come to the synagogues to hear teaching. And so because Paul was a Pharisee, he could go into a synagogue and he could teach this. It'd be a safe first step into a community. I believe Paul also went to the synagogues because he believed that the Old Testament taught that it's the Jews' role to be the light to the Gentiles. And so he's coming with that mission to them as well, saying, hey, you need to hear this truth because you need to join me for the nations and they need to know this is true. But here's the task. The task of the church is to, to actually literally bring people to Jesus, not to spirituality. There's a lot of spiritual people. There's a lot of people who want to just kind of have spiritual conversations and, and have kind of mystical, random conversations. And sometimes you can say, wow, they're really spiritual people. They really believe a lot of different things. But the task is not to encourage spirituality. The task is to show Jesus as the conduit between God and man. Jesus as the source of the resolver of all the issues in the world. That's the task. Okay? So God's on the move. There's movement. The Spirit is moving people. The task on hand is to preach the Word of God, is to teach people Jesus as the center of this. Okay? So let's move on now to the next piece of this, to opportunity. The great thing about the mission is that God's the one who opens doors. Okay? God opens doors. Look at verse 6. There's our opportunity now. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish prophet, false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Okay, so now they've made their way from one end to the other. They're down on the, basically the south side uh, of the island, way down uh, south, uh, north, south, west side of the island. And, uh, and they're hanging out there. And it's the capital. And they're with the proconsul. He's like a mayor. And we know about this guy that he's intelligent. He's a smart man. 
And he is interested because the word has been heard. These guys have been preaching, preaching, preaching. That's what they've been doing, directing everybody to Jesus, showing Christ as the center of everything. And they come across this guy, Sergius, hears this message. He's a smart guy. What Paul and Barnabas are saying has got his attention. But this guy has a spiritual advisor by the name of Bar-Jesus. So he's got this spiritual advisor. He's, what we know about this guy is he's a Jewish mystic. So he's a Jewish false prophet. Now, Bar-Jesus, when you see the word Bar in front of a name, it means son. Bar means son. And so, uh, and so when you see Bar, you know now he is the son of Jesus. And you say, son of Jesus, what's he saying? Well, remember, Jesus was a very common name. It's, Jesus is just the name Joshua. That's all it is. It's why the New Testament very rarely says you are to be Jesus-like and uses the phrase Christ-like. It uses the phrase Christ-like because Jesus was a very common name. And so you don't want to start saying be Jesus-like. What are you talking about? My neighbor's a clown over there. Jesus, my neighbor. I don't want to be like him. And so they would say Christ-like, Messiah-like. Be like the Messiah. So that's why you see Christ used frequently in the New Testament. It's why it's part of our vernacular today. But, but here we have this guy. He is the son of Joshua. I don't know if he's trying to mean more than that, but, but that's what he is. Bar-Jesus, son of Joshua. And he's a Jewish false prophet. Now, I need to explain about him a little bit before we get into the opportunity that's here. But, but Bar-Jesus is a mystic. Uh, and so, and here's, here's the uniqueness of this guy. In that day, there were uh, what were called Jewish mystics. And Jewish mystics were, were basically like gurus. They were gurus. They were guys that, uh, that took Old Testament sayings and Old Testament laws and a and little, little mixture of uh, a book here, a little mixture of a saying here, and they would mix it all together and then give you some kind of like spiritual insight, kind of like going to a palm reader. And they would have this ability to connect people they thought, to the spiritual world. That's mysticism, right? Mysticism is any belief system that tries to connect you to the spiritual world outside of Jesus. That's what they were, mystics. Now, they brought in Bible. They brought in Old Testament stuff. And these guys would get paid large sums of money because political leaders would have them by their side. And so when they would have some big decision to make, they would go to their mystic and they would say, what should we do? And he'd say, well... The sun is rising at five, which means that the clouds will move. And they would just start getting these poetic sayings. And when you read their sayings, they're never telling anybody what to do. It's just this thing that sounds really deep. And if you ever read Jewish mysticism, don't do it. Don't even Google it now, okay? Don't get into it, but it's crazy talk because it makes no sense. I feel like it's like, you know, codes, you know, the duck rises at midnight, you know, whatever, like something weird like that. And so, it's, and these people would think they're getting deep truth. They would think they're getting something significant because, wow, I don't understand it. It must be right. You know, I mean, wow, this is really good stuff. And so we had this Jewish mystic there. But here's the interesting thing. So Bar-Jesus is there, and he's the spiritual advisor to Sergius Paulus. Now, Sergius Paulus is a leader, a proconsul, a mayor, and his job is to run this area, and he's interested in Paul and Barnabas. Now, why is this important? I'll tell you why it's important. A guy like, a guy like Sergius Paulus, 
becomes a Christian. He will open doors for the gospel to go in movement form. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for rulers and kings and authority so that we'd live a quiet life and dignity. It's the will of God because God desires for all men to be saved. He ties the work of salvation into the, the peace of kings, saying this is the environment for movement to happen. What's amazing is that when, sometimes when God is beginning a mission, He opens doors of people who can allow the move to happen. That happened to us when we went into Canada. When we went in and, and the opportunity to come into Canada, you have to be invited into a village to live there. You can't just suddenly show up and live somewhere. There's not even houses for you to live. And we had the opportunity to fly, and I had the opportunity to, to, to stand in the chief's office and ask official permission, can Ron and Matt and their families live here? And if the chief says no, it's over. And the chief says, yes, they can come and they can live here, and, and, and they can work with our children. But he said, they have to work with me too. He said, my heart is dark, and I need light. It's a powerful moment. Powerful moment. That's a Sergius Paulus moment. Because now the chief says, I want these guys. And you know what? He would send emails. When are you coming? What are you doing? Come on. He's now going to bat. This is what's happening here. God is opening doors. We're, we're moving with the Spirit. He's clearly pushing us into this work in Canada. And God, all of a sudden, boom, opens a door with a leader. Says, you can come. And this leader opens the same thing's going on in Cyprus. Same exact thing. God's opening the door. Because here's the amazing thing. God is on the move. Okay? God is totally on the move. And because God is on the move, he's given us a tax to preach his word. And he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to preach it. I'm going to open the door. That's what we have. Okay. So now, what happens though? God not only opens the door, but now we move into the next big point. There's a threat, isn't there? <clears throat> There's a threat. Satan always opposes, doesn't he? Satan always opposes. So notice the threat. Verse 8. But Elamis, Elamis is his first name. Elamis bar Jesus. Elamis, the son of Joshua. So, but when Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, that's what Elamis means, it means magician. For Elamis, for, uh, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Okay, so when you think of magician, again, don't think of like Elamis standing in front of Sergius going, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat, right? No, it's not that kind of a thing. Okay, see the coin? Whoop, it's gone, right? It's not magician like that. Magician means spiritist, spiritual connector, okay? So Elamis is the spiritual connector. What did he do? He opposed these guys. Why did he oppose them? Obviously, his gig is up, isn't it? He's got no more power. He's got no more money. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a false teacher, and he's leading this guy astray. The proconsul is attracted to Paul, and so he doesn't want to lose his power. One of the amazing things, and we've talked about this in, in any of the missionary work that we talk about doing, is that anytime you go somewhere and you bring the message of Jesus, you become a threat 
to the false teacher's power. And they feel threatened by that. And everywhere you go, you're going to threaten somebody. You say, boy, I just want to come in here and tell somebody about Jesus. Why are they so mad? Because Christ is the King of kings. And when you are in a, wanting to follow in, 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 in the way of evil, you want to be the king. And so it becomes a threat. So this guy is threatened, so he opposes them. And the way that he opposes them is not by going directly after Paul and Barnabas. He just starts trying to bend the ear of Sergius. Right? Sergius is saying, hey, this guy Paul, here's what he said. No, 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 you don't want to follow that. You don't want... And he's just over there constantly in the ear of Sergius, trying to turn the proconsul away from him. And so now you have this battle going on, right? Paul's preaching. Sergius is, every time Paul's saying something to Sergius, Bar-Jesus is over here saying something else in his ear. And now the battle has begun. Okay, so that's what's happening. So notice what happens in verse 9. But Saul, who's also called Paul, this is the first time the name Paul kind of shows up for him, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently on him. Again, the Spirit of God is here, and Paul sees Bar-Jesus, and he looks with intent. So picture in your mind what you think that would be. I picture that look my mom would give me when I would do dumb things in church. <laughs> That's the look I get. That, you know, that look down the row like, you better get in line or you're going to be in deep trouble. That's the look, I think, that's there. It's like this intent look means that Paul fixed his gaze on this guy to go after him. It's going to deal directly with this. What he didn't do is he didn't try to win over Bar-Jesus. He didn't want to say, well, he's spiritual. Yeah, he's using the Old Testament. You know, we can work with that. He wasn't trying to be all like, well, you know, we can just wrap our arms around this. This is cool. It's good. It's good. Hey, you know, just let me kind of bring in a little Jesus in here and and with, you know, with your mysticism and my Jesus thing, yeah, we're all good. We're all, right? He wasn't doing that. He said, this is wrong. We're going to deal with this directly. And it was the Spirit of God that did this to him. So, so just realize this. This isn't just Paul uh, having an anger problem. Okay? This is the Spirit of God dealing with him. And notice what he says to him. Uh, and, you know, there's no uncertainty about what Paul believes. Look at verse 10. And he said, you son of the devil... You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Okay, so, so he says a bunch of things. Let's just quickly click them off here. He calls him, first of all, son of the devil. Son of the devil, because Bar-Jesus is Jewish, he would understand what that means. That's calling somebody a liar in Jewish terms. Calling anybody the son of the devil is calling someone a liar. John 8, 44, Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees. And if you read in John 8, 44, you get the idea. It's calling him a liar. So he called him an, a liar. First thing, he says, you're a liar. Second, you're an enemy of all righteousness. Meaning this, you are not leading people into that which will make them righteous. The reason why we don't want to embrace false teaching is because it doesn't lead people to righteousness. And we know one thing. If you're not righteous, you can't stand before God. So it's really dangerous, right? So he says, hey, you're an enemy of righteousness. And then he says, you're full of deceit and villainy. Villainy is basically the idea. is just another way of saying corruption. You're corrupt. You're a corrupt person. This is what you are. You're corrupt. And then he says, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
what is he saying? He's saying, you're over here, every time I preach the truth, you're over here bending it in the ear of this guy. You're bending it, the truth, in his ear. Stop it. Okay? So you're a liar. You're an enemy. You're a deceiver. And you're a distorter. He just goes right out and he deals with it. Why? Because error is dangerous. And it has to be dealt with directly. And then God really deals with it. Look at verse 11. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So, when he said the hand of the Lord is upon you, I'm sure Bar-Jesus freaked out because he knew enough of the Bible to know that any time you read in the Old Testament the hand of the Lord is upon you, bad things happen. The hand of the Lord means the judgment of God is coming. And what's the judgment? God made the guy blind. So the irony is that here he is, a mystic. You know, you know what the name of a, of a mystic also is? A seer. Isn't that interesting? It's a seer. It's actually what the word mystic means. It means to see. The seer becomes blind. A little irony, right? This guy who was supposed to be leading people into truth now needs to be led. I think this is the image God's giving this guy. I'm going to make you blind so that you know that you can't see. It's an amazing statement. But now, God's on the move. We have a task. Amazing task. God opens doors. The reality is that Satan will always oppose those open doors. But what's the outcome? The outcome is God always wins. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw what had occurred, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I want you to notice that he didn't believe because of the miracle. All the miracle did was confirm the message. And the message was there's only one conduit between, between man and God, and it's Jesus. Mysticism is garbage. It doesn't connect you to God. Only Jesus does. And then God displayed that power, and this guy gets blind, and he says, okay, I am convinced that this guy can't see. So I will believe your message, because the point is, we're not trying to get people to believe the miracles. We want to believe the message, right? The message that Jesus is the thing that connects you to the spiritual world, and that's it. That's what you need to know. It's where your wisdom comes from. And so the good news is, God always wins. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Okay, let's kind of put this together. If we're going to think and act like missionaries. What do we learn from this story? Right? We learn lots of things from this story. The first thing that we learn is that God's on the move. We've said that. This is what God is about. If I'm connected to God, I've got to be connected to his work. And his work is to make this known. The second thing is that I'm given a task. And the task is that I've got to proclaim Jesus. He's the conduit. I don't want to get into a spiritual message. I can't water down the message of Christ or be in a situation that is watering down the message of Christ and standing there as if I'm okay with that. Because Jesus is the only conduit between God and man. There's no other conduit. Okay? We're given this task. The good news is you might say, well, how do I know people are going to listen? And you say, but you know what? God opens the doors. God opens the doors. 
I don't have to kick the doors open. He does amazing things. But when God opens the doors, what happens? Satan will oppose. He will oppose. He'll oppose by trying to bend the message, distort the message, come against you, come against what you're proclaiming. It might be that you're trying to share with a family member and another family. You're in one ear of one family member and another family's in the other ear of the family member. And you're talking and, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. And you have to say, Spirit, do something here. Do something here. Help us, guide us. Help us deal with this directly. But the good news is this. Even though Satan opposes, God always wins. Nothing was going to stop Sergius Paulus from God's appointed ends. Nothing was going to stop. And so even though there's opposition, I can keep going because the opposition doesn't win. This is why Paul and Barnabas, as we're going to see in the weeks to come, and they get like kicked out of towns, they get left for dead, and they just keep going because they know God always wins. It's a mission that cannot lose. It's a mission that cannot lose. Now, here's what I want us to do. We've got a very simple application, and then I'm going to pray. The simple application is this. I would like for you to memorize those five points right there. And I would like for you to think about those five points every day this week. Maybe write them down, put them somewhere, turn it into a prayer. God, I believe you're on the move today, and I believe you've given me a task, and I believe you're going to open a door for me. Let me be faithful in that door. I believe I'll be opposed today, but I won't let the opposition depress me because I have confidence that you'll win. I think that's the lesson, to keep going in the mission. Because I think in the world we live in, we need to be trained to think and act like missionaries. So let's pray for that end right now. Join me in prayer here. God, I thank you that you are on the move You are doing things in this world that um, are amazing. Things we can't see. You're doing things in our neighborhood that we could never imagine. You're on the move. God, thank you for giving us the message of Christ. The message that he is the mediator between God and man. And may we be faithful with that task of telling people about that. Thank you, God, that you're going to open doors even this week. I believe there are people this week that you will open doors for them to bring the message of Jesus. Thank you, God, that you are the one that opens the doors. But I also know Satan will oppose. He always does. But let that not discourage us. May we remember you always win. And fueled with that truth, May we live out the purposes for which you made us, for your glory and for your kingdom. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.